0: We are in the New Testament letter towards the end of the compilation, what we call the New Testament, uh, in the letter called 1 John. So if you would turn there with me, we've worked our way up chapter by chapter over the past few weeks to 1 John chapter 3. And we're going to be at verses 16 to 24, and what I'd like to do is read through it so we catch the context, and then come back and kind of just look at it with, I believe that God will give us a very practical and clear instruction individually. I love this particular letter because it presents principle, it presents truth, it presents practice. In other words, how do you put it into motion? How do you live it in your life? If you understand the principle but have no idea how to put it into place, it's actually of no benefit to you. It's actually detrimental because you know but lack the power to do. But if we can look at the word as we'll see today and actually glean a Monday morning application, a living it out approach to this love we've been given, then I think we'll see our lives transformed. So let's begin in verse 16, read through it, and then come back and walk through it. Verse 16 of 1 John chapter 3. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods, and sees his brother in need, and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. All right, journey back to verse 16, and let's kind of take this a, a bite at a time. We see there in verse 16, it says, by this we know, love, you know, as you've been with us, or maybe referenced it before, or read it on your own, this particular letter. He's really putting the emphasis of the, the action of love, the expression of love, that it's not just a theory or a thought, but it's visible, and so as we've worked through to this point, we're given in reference of verse 15 and above. This is the epitome. This is the pinnacle. This is the ultimate example of love. God himself. Love is a statement can stir your mind, but the action will change your life. So here we're in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. We're going to go now to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. Verse 16, you're familiar with it. We used to be able to call it a goalpost verse. It showed up behind the goalposts and it doesn't happen anymore. I'm not sure why, but I'm not going to go there. I'm actually pretty confident why. Nonetheless, we have this verse, verse 16 and 17 of John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In 1 John, we're told that this is the example of love. This verse here shows us that love has an action. For God so loved the world. That's a declaration, agreed? That's a statement. For God so loved the world, and this is the action, that he gave himself, his son, that he came to pay a price that you couldn't pay. To remove a debt I couldn't functionally deal with. See, the action of love is really, really important. Because it reveals to you and I the truth of the love. Jesus is the ultimate example of laying down your life for others. And those of us who are born again are brought into the family, we've seen last week in 1 John that there really is a distinction between those who are not yet born again and those who are born again because of the work of God, they've responded to the offer of salvation from Jesus Christ. If you haven't responded, you're still held by the prince of this age, that we're told we looked at last week. So, if you have, you're this person. You're sitting here in John three. If you would just go to the left a little bit, go back to John one. In John chapter one, verse eleven, we're told that God came. We've seen that in John three, but He came to His own. And his own did not receive him. But as many as received them, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Which is really interesting because you came to a relationship with Jesus Christ. You were born again because of the will of God. Because he invited you in. And I know we have certain statements and contemporary ways of saying it, you know, relatively new. In a little over 100 years, a phrase has developed that I believe is accurate. It's just uh, interesting. We say things like, I accepted Christ. You ever heard that say? Most of you have probably said it. I accepted the Lord into my heart. Which is interesting. You did. Why did you? Because he prompted you. He drew you. It's a fascinating combination of divine presence and individual will. Where he prompts and draws us to him. And we respond to that revelation that comes from heaven that makes known our individual sin. Aware of that sin, we say, I don't know what to do with this. I can't forgive myself for the things I've done wrong. God, help me. Forgive me. Jesus, I trust you. You see what's so important? It's not just that we got to a point in life where we needed to clean up our act. It's not that we're so destitute or, you know, put in, a, in jail. You know, those are circumstantial. These things that take place that bring us into a relationship is when the Father calls us to Him and we respond to His love. Now we're brought into the family. And as a part of the family, things are different for you. You know, you have, even if you don't know your, your natural father, you have certain characteristics, mannerisms, distinctives that are relevant. I mean, they, they come from that person. They're, they're encoded in your DNA, if you would. Now, what's interesting, when we're born again, we take that same understanding, that same reality. And realize We now are em, empowered. We're reborn, born of the Spirit. We start having the desires of the Father. Because God himself indwells us. Let's go back, if you would, now to where we started in 1 John. As a child of God, we have him with us. As his children, his desire becomes our desire. It didn't happen instantaneously that you noticed. I believe it did the moment you were born again. You started desiring things differently. You really didn't understand it all. It wasn't associated with... I went to church and they did it this way, so I duplicated what they did. I mean, there's an experiential reference that that would be regarded, but the, the root or the cause of it was actually from his presence. And so, his desire becomes our desire. I'm saying all this because we know he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Well, what does it look like? You're not the Messiah, newsflash. You know, you're not him. You're, how, do, how, do you, how do you lay down your life? You know, you can't just go die for someone because it seems noble. Because if you can accomplish nothing for him other than some noble act in this life, that's done nothing. How do we lay down our life that, that, for the brethren? Well, it actually tells us. Look in verse 17. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him how does the love of God abide in that person? Three things I want to just focus on very briefly in this one. Whoever sees his brother in need. See, we have to slow down sometimes. or We have to, to, to reset or reschedule or however you want to see it to be able to see clearly, to see from his perspective. And so one thing, if, if you're not in association, if you're not in interaction, if you're not integrating with people, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say something. You're probably not noticing what people are going through. Correct? I mean, we live in a time that you can do things a lot of different ways. But ultimately, we learn to be aware of the needs around us and even the, the things that you know maybe we weren't familiar with at all. We need to engage with people. What's fascinating is... God has made the human being to be a part of other people's lives. Historically, you see it. The most challenged people in a sense of uh, uh, just mental balance and all these different things you can look into cross-cultural, cross different continents through history. Those who pull back have more problems, quite honestly. Sometimes they say it's the problem that caused them to pull back. But you look, and most of us, if we can look and be honest, go, you, you know, when I pull back, it's not because of me, it's because of you, right? I <laughs> mean, just think about it. You don't pull back because you're doing so good. It's there such a problem. It's those other people, like, oh man, I just, they're driving me crazy. I just need to, no, that's not actually what you need to do. Because actually, here's what happens, hey, man, it, it, you can do personality. Studies, you can talk about introvert, extrovert, all this different stuff. But it's proven we energize off of people. There's something in us in our experience and engagement that brings new freshness in, to us. Now, I'm not saying you have to all go talk to everybody and go home like you're glowing or something. But there is a truth that when we are, are not pulling back, but when we see the brother in need. Now, you think about it. We, we, we see or we hear, We observe. And, and what do we do? You can't fund every problem on the planet. You can't fix poverty. Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you, which is another fascinating study. You can't, you know, just go throw cash at somebody's condition or situation and have it resolved. But you can have a sensitivity. You, you can, you will integrate in some fashion. But the key here is seeing the need and keeping the heart soft. Because you see what it says, you see the need and shuts up his heart from him. See, we could be very rational, we can be very logical, truthful, but not merciful. Well, the reason they have the problems is because they didn't manage their finances. The reason they did—they were dealing with that—is because they didn't deal with this, and you know, they kind of brought it on themselves. That's very truthful. It's just not merciful. It's not something. It, it great, you figured it out, but you didn't—you weren't a part of fixing anything. And to be able to say, you know, I, God, I don't know what to do, and I believe this is very important. That He doesn't say, in your mind, solve their problems, but He teaches you and I to have a heart softened by His presence, softened by His presence. Don't shut up your heart because you can't say, you know, because where the text goes is, how does the love of God abide in you, Dan? if your heart can't be softened, if you can't do things the way I would lead you and show you and involve you and integrate people together to where certain things can be accomplished, if you're, you, you don't want anything to do that, but then you say, I love God. It's like, it's not abiding. You know, abide speaks of uh, to dwell, uh, to take up residence within, to have a kind of a healthy interaction so you can't, I can't say that we, I abide well with God, but then I, w- I don't want to do things the way He does. Here. I checked this first service, a few or less. So quite a few. I'm just going to go out on a limb. A couple of you are married. A few of you are married. And I'm going to go one more. I'm going to really break the, this is breaking news stuff. I'm going to say that of those of you that are married, some of you have been belligerent, stubborn arrogant, indifferent to one another. I'm not picking on any individual. I'm just saying in a general sense, you've been that, right? How do you dwell when you do that? Well, everything's fine, honey. No, it's not. There's friction, is there not? There's indifference that has to be worked out. There's problems that have to be worked through because you're not dwelling. This is not a happy home. Well, I make that correlation because it's the strongest relationship we have in this planet to to consider when we are not when we're indifferent to God, and our hearts are shut down. Then, then we're not dwelling. It's not to imply that if you're not helping the poor, you're not born again. This literally speaks of how can the love of God be residing and in, 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 in within you when you will not be used by him in any way, shape, or form. And I love that it's somewhat or general in the sense it doesn't tell us to fund this or fix that. It allows the Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us. Like, okay, well, how does that apply? How's that lived out? Going on in verse 18, he then follows that up with, my little children, which is really interesting. That's, a, that's an interesting term if you think about it, because we've seen from chapter 1, verse 1, through this, to this portion, that there are sections and statements and sentences that are very direct, almost harsh. Can we agree? Where it says some things like, you know, if you sin, you're not born again. I paraphrase it. You'll find it in the first couple of chapters. And then it goes on to say, but, you know, so in other words, don't sin. And then it says, but you do sin. And like, oh, wait a minute. This is, this is really direct, hard stuff. Let me say this. You can't Separate the pieces and the portions and put them on a sticker on your fridge without going crazy. Your doctrinal foundation has to keep it in context, and in that context, he said some very hard things, very direct, very practical. But notice the terminology here, my little children. God is using an instrument, a vessel, a, a conduit to bring His truth through. That person is what more than we know is the Apostle John. And so the Apostle John is is the instrument God brings his word through, the heart of God through the hand of John. And this is the term, my little children. It's a very endearing term. It's a term meant to convey um, love. John is, to that first generation, he is a type of a spiritual father. And he expresses endearment and closeness in his instruction. The the terminology it, it It expresses uh, fondness, tenderness, affection, warmth, sentiment. So here's this father figure conveying this truth that's hard to handle a little bit, and it's just right to the heart, but he's doing it and conveying these very important relational elements. I ventured down this trail intentionally for a purpose Many of us as men don't do well here. Agreed? We're very quick to bring discipline or perhaps speak specifically, possibly accurately, probably truthfully, but rather callously. How many of you could raise your hand? You don't need to do it now because you'd sound like you're boasting if you did. Could you raise your hand and go, I'm actually, when I convey truth to my children to my coworkers, to my family members, to the loved ones. I, I'm, I'm very tender and I'm, I'm very warm and I have good sentiment and affection and I, and I convey with the balance of emotion and, and human warmth. Said no man ever, I don't believe. Now, the reason I say that is because we learn as we go. We deal with reality, this, this kind of thing here, but we have to convey with a sense of, you know, I'm in it for you. John's saying, listen, I'm not against you. God is not against you. He's bringing this truth. My little children, go, he goes on to say in that passage, that verse, let your love be seen. It's not just in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. See, love is visible more than audible. It's easy to say it, agreed? It's a whole different reality to put it into practice, to put it into motion and to live it out. Because there is a contrast we see it in this text between pretension and genuine love, the genuine love that's presented here. You know, the, you, I believe you understand it. we will be brief with this, you know, to, not to be just word or tongue. It's kind of like saying all talk, no walk. You're saying, oh man, I'm just really, you know, I'm really concerned for you. I'm really, you know, I'll pray for you. And then there's nothing, no, no follow-up, no conversation, no connection, it's, it's what I refer to as implied concern that won't lift a finger. Oh, I'm so, yeah, but nothing happens. And, and it's not, like I say, it's not a method I'm trying to direct you to, or just, it's, it's a motive. Like, man, when I'm stirred, when I'm told, when I'm aware of a brother, or someone's need, I want to have some response that's, that's relational and it's, and it's relevant and it's not just verbal. Notice he says that the response would be indeed and in truth, because love is an action. There is an observation because he's talking about seeing a brother in need, but that observation then brings about another response, an action. And notice as it says, you know that this this you were indeed and in truth. I want to say that's not normal or natural. Uh, That's a reaction that you are learning. Because your new father, you're born again, is teaching you his ways. It's not natural to, to respond or to try to do something to help someone um, just because you, you, someone told you to. It's supernatural. It's a God-honoring action. It's a, it's a confirming expression. And, it, and it literally, we're going to see here in verse 19, it's a way of, in a way, verifying that you're born again, so to speak. Look at verse 19. By this we know. By what? He was either saying by this point to come or the point already presented. And I believe you can lean more towards what's been presented. By this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. By this we know. This learning to love and loving in a way that's beyond what we know. Do you know your own preset Love limit before you're born again because you have one. I don't know how you measure it, but I know I I know mine before I was born again. But see, I I can't work within that restriction. I now have been empowered, uh, enabled by the presence of God to love with the love of God, and it's a different kind of love. Notice it says here that we know that we're of the truth because because of this love we're learning to express. And we shall assure our hearts before him. What does it mean by assure our hearts? What does what that convey to you and I? It, what does it mean? It speaks of it, it to persuade our hearts, um, to calm our hearts. So our hearts are calm and persuaded before him. As I looked up the word, I, I find it, found it interesting. Okay, I'm going to miss half of you on this one at least. Marlon Perkins Wild Kingdom anyone? Any? okay we got a few so we know who, he, who it was was the Wild Kingdom Marlon Perkins come on you guys need to get out more we're going back 25 years of, of Americana and, and here he, he would go and for whatever reason they would tranquilize an animal for the benefit of the animal of course and they would tag him, move them whatever the reason I go there is because the word assures also carries the meaning of tranquilize. That literally within our hearts we're 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 we're, we're tranquilized, so to speak, and that we're we're calmed, we're not driven by fear, we're not caught up in the situation. This this is something you you learn about you in this new life. In this new life, as I learn to love, as we learn to love in his love, his power. It's, it changes. We're not as fearful, driven by fear. We're, we're literally seeing things with more of a calm and awareness. Caught up by what he's brought to us. For me personally, I hope you can say it about you with other emphasis. I know I'm born again. I know that because of what the Bible says about being born again. But there's a confirming characteristic that I know you may see, but I know. I love with a new love, with a greater love. The first edition of me, I tried to help or assist someone, love someone, but I always found a way to get something out of it. You know what I'm talking about? You help someone and you're doing anything. Your motive seems to be genuine. You're like, oh, I'm going to help him do this. And then you realize... Their resources or their position. You're like, hmm, I wonder if I could get them to help me. And your assisting, your loving, is actually a form of relational indebtedness. Where I then would say, hey, you know, I helped you the other day. I know it was fun to do all that, but could you give me a hand with? And what's happening? They're obligated. So they either change your phone number, so you can't get a hold of them again or whatever. You see what's happening? But see, I know something changed in me because I was able to do things that I know my personal preset limits, so to speak. Caused by conscience, culture, and a carnal mind. I used to have these limits, and now I find myself helping someone, and it was just enjoyable. Like even last week, you know, some people joined in and helped a, a family move. And it was just because the family needed help. It wasn't like, hey, here's my number. I'm moving in two weeks. Make sure you put it on your calendar. Because it's a different love. It's a different motive. There's actually joy in it. I find it you know, just kind of, it's like, man, it was so nice to just be able to do that and then move on without a lot of drama. It says here that this assures our hearts. We understand that as we're loving in his love, it's not our love. It's him working in and through us. And if that doesn't charge your batteries, I don't know what does. To know that the God of creation who spoke the world into existence, who loves you so much that he would endure the cross would actually speak to you in a very intimate, individual, and precise moment and enable you and empower me to help or love in such a way that it's not my way. And then I I just know it's him. Man, it's so refreshing. It's literally exciting. Okay, this is awesome. Now, in doing that, as you help in some fashion or love in whatever measure we see in the context, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. This, I believe, happens for everyone who has done this. Suppose you help someone, and you get all done, and then you get to thinking, like, man, I feel like I did that for the wrong reason. There's kind of a self-condemnation, like, oh, man, I did it to get something out of it. And you, you start going down this odd downhill, this muddy incline that you're just slipping on. Like, Man, you're, you're, you're feeling condemned and critical. No problem. Here's what I would recommend according to the overall context we're looking at here. Present that to God and let him give you understanding. If your motive was off and you're still a residual of your old nature showing itself, just lay it before God. God, why am I I started out this morning doing that for the I thought was the right reason and now I feel horrible. Help me sort this out. Is that what am I to learn from this? And so it, it says in First John chapter 1, verse 9, that if or when we sin, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if my motives are messed up, I lay it before him and let him teach me. But if we see in the next verse, if we lay it before him and he, how he doesn't condemn us, notice it says, because he doesn't condemn us, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. This is very interesting, don't you think? Because if you helped and learned to love in any way, you will have this statement. I, I tried to be God's hand extended. I tried to love, but I got burned. Anybody ever have that thought? Well, maybe you didn't get burned. Maybe you're realizing, I don't know, man. Maybe my motive was wrong. Maybe, I don't know. But God, I just give it to you and let you sort it out. Let you teach me so I can work through it where I'm not you know, beating myself up listening online right now, sitting in this room, are people that condemn themselves sometimes. When you try to do something or something's happened in the past, maybe you've been divorced, maybe you've been through relational stress, maybe you've done things ethically and morally, and you realize it shouldn't have been done. And every time you try to move forward with God, you find yourself condemned. Let me just say this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us God's not the one condemning you. And so that's why it's important to lay it before his throne, if you would, and say, God, I don't don't know how to do this. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, the father cried out. You and I would say, Lord, I don't don't know how to escape this, but I'm going to you, I'm turning to you. I'm not gonna keep, you know, getting hammered. It's like the enemy has knowledge about you, and he does, because it happens. It's history. He doesn't have foreknowledge, but he knows the past. And he reminds me, oh, you shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't have did that. And he loves to beat you up. And when you can lay it before the Lord, say, God, I don't get this. I'm still wrestling with this. I still struggle with this. I'm just giving it to you. If there's anything in me that still needs to be cleansed and, and cleaned up and purified, I just give it to you. And the Bible tells you and me, when we do that, when we present our our needs and these realities to him, then we experience a peace that surpasses understanding. And the next morning you get up and you're glad about the day and nothing bad happens and you live happily ever after. Only in the storybooks. Because in the real world, you get up the next day and you may face the exact same problem you faced the day before. It may be the same argument in your mind. It may be the same thing the enemy wants to hit you over the head with. And you have the same practice. The promises of his presence, the love of God in you, the very God who loves you leading you. You say, Lord, here we go again. It just seems to c- come back. It's like, I know. And you, have, you lay it before him. You experience maybe even an emotion, a sentiment of joy, even happiness. Hey, wow, cool. So after the second day, then the third day comes. And we know third days are good days because Jesus rose on the third day. So now, all right, the third day. And you get hit in the head with the same bat than that same day. Does anybody relate to this? Does anybody experience this? What do you do? What are you doing wrong? You're doing nothing wrong. You still do the same thing because the confidence you have in God is not based on what he'll do for you. It's what he's done for you. And we just say, God, I don't get it. I'm kind of struggling with this. But I'm just giving it to you. I'm just sticking. I am not turning away. I am not turning back. I'm not going to give up what I know for what I don't know. I'm not going to go there. Help me to have the, the confidence, the strength, and the power. And I'm going to bed. and I'm getting up in the morning. And if I have to go through this again, I'll go through it again. I am not leaving what I know to be true. And I think there's a, a, an important element of that type of tenacity that's not self-will, the type of determination that is because of a confidence in God. Paul said it this way: "I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest after having spoke and preached with others, I would find myself disqualified." See, he said in that context, in First Corinthians, that I don't fight by just punching the air. I don't just run randomly. I have an intention. I have a desire that by the strength of God, I will complete the journey with God. I will finish the race. I will fight the fight. I will keep the faith, which he declared later in 2 Timothy. And I want to encourage you in that regard. Don't let Satan keep beating you up. He wants to bring up your past because he knows his future. He, He wants to convey to you in some manner or some measure that you're not worthy of the king. But the king said you're worthy of him. You figure out who you want to line up with. I know where I'm going. I just want to encourage you in that regards. Verse 21. If our heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence toward God. My in- encouragement there, keep learning. Keep growing. Keep your eyes on him. Staying close to God guards us from the desires of this world. Too much of the desires. You're going to be interested in the things in this life. That's okay. Let's not be drawn off course by them. And just stay close to him. I hope you can say and confidently look forward, like, you know, I'm not where I was two weeks ago, two years ago. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. And I know he's faithful to keep me going, to keep me on course. Now, if you do that, you get everything you want. Look, verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Isn't that awesome? Whatever you ask, you get from him. Uh, It's a conditional relational statement. Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Maybe I could put it in um, my lingo, so to speak. I don't know if that's good lingo, but because we're close to him, we don't ask for stupid stuff. Does that make sense? That's really, what this is showing, when we're not distracted by the things of this life, we're, we're actually, we just desire more of what he has. And when we're keeping and doing, in other words, we're, we're valuing and applying, we're just not as easily distracted. I, I, I was really humored. This is, I'm gonna have a hard time making a correlation. Maybe you can make a connection and I could justify my statement. But here's the thing: Have you ever heard of this thing called a lottery? Right? It's kind of a big buzz right now because it's up to like, oh, the last I seen, like $1.6 billion. And I love this. I think this is so humorous. I got no issue with lottery dynamics and stuff. But here's the thing. You know? Maybe I'll get a ticket. I'll go buy one. You know, because I I don't know what I would do with like 1.6 million. I could probably barely change my lifestyle. But it's at 1.6 billion. And all of a sudden people are talking about going and getting a ticket because it's at 1.6 billion. Like, excuse me? Why is that such a compulsion? It's actually just a a news thing, a stirring thing, and trust me, I don't, when I say I don't have issue with the lottery, I don't have issue with like three bucks, whatever. I do have a concern about motive, because if you want to do a little study at home, you can go and check documentaries, and you can check statistics and facts, and most people who come into a large sum of money have their lives altered in a very negative way. Results in a lot of trauma, a lot of broken relationships, divorce, all kinds of terrible things because it's changed so dramatically. Well, how, why do I connect that? Well, if we get caught up sometimes in these other things, the next thing we're going this way. I'm okay with uh, winning the lottery. I actually, I'm going to check my ticket. I didn't buy one. See, I have a mathematical mind that looks at odds and probability. I don't think my odds are any worse or much worse. My belief is I will find the ticket someone else bought blowing down the street because the wind blows here i uh, will pick it up and have the winning ticket i don't think i'm any further off than the guy who spent three bucks mathematically you can do your own numbers because they're, so, they're so horrible and i just want to say and i'm just using it because the hot buzz button right now let's just not be distracted by the things of this life god has provided for you i've never known someone to go man i have so much more money my life is so much better I've never met one that person that way. I've sat with people as they pass from this life to this to another life in their hospital bed or in their home. I've been around a lot of people over the last 30 years and never had one say, you know, as soon as we had a lot more money, we were a lot tighter family. We were a lot happier home. So it doesn't, it's not weight against a type of wealth or it's not for. Let's just be real. Just live where we are. The key, I believe, to know or to keep and to do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And you will have whatever you ask. You, You will be asking for things that are relevant to him. You'll be doing things that are in regards to your relationship with him. And then it just kind of starts taking care of itself. Verse 24 or 23. And this is his commandment. That we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And love one another as he gave us commandment. This is his commandment. In other words, this is his instruction. This is, this is how this will be resolved. And what's the most important thing to God? Your participation in a family, in a church. Your practice in a culture and how you live honorably with integrity. That's not the first thing mentioned. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's the essential thing. That's the one thing that has to be resolved in this life. That is the thing. Your relationship with Jesus Christ. Is he just a religious figure in one of many different spiritually oriented systems? Or is he who he says he is and the history proves him to be? That he is God in human form. And putting your faith, putting your trust, believing in him, you receive the gift of eternal life. He indwells you, takes up residence within you, and instructs you. And because of his presence, your outward expression will change because he's in you with you leading you you'll live differently you don't live differently so he'll come in and because he's there you're born again and forgiven you're you're going to live differently the result will be we'll love one another as he has instructed this is how the world will know you're my disciples you know he said that specifically to his people you, you want to know how the world's going to know you're mine it won't because of your amazing unity Everyone noticed that. You think historically the church has been united? More divided than united. So it's not because of the unity. It's because of the love. This is how the world will know that you're my disciples. You'll have love one for another. You'll learn how to do this. You'll learn how to be this. You'll learn how to grow in this. He abides in us and it says in verse 24, Now as you and I, as we keep his commandments, and we understand he's with us, abiding in us, and we're in him and he's in us. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. When you realize the word of God, when you see the triunity of God, one God in three personages, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that triunity, the one God God himself and the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling you, And we're told in John chapters 14 through 16, as God, as the person of the Holy Spirit indwells us individually, he brings to our remembrance the things that Jesus said. He leads us and guides us in all truth. He convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He speaks to you and I as the parakletos, is the word in that language that was used, is a comforter, one who comes alongside, a helper, Think about those, those titles and how we engage with God. It's his desire that we do well. It's his love for his children that compels us to, to even want to please the Father. And the Holy Spirit living within us brings us to this understanding. The Holy Spirit confirms to you and I. It's not just raw determination and mental gymnastics that get you in a closer relationship with Jesus. It's learning to trust him, to say, God, I don't know what to do. Have you ever had that prayer? Have you been transparent and genuine enough in a private place to say, God, I don't, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I don't know how to fix this relational mess. I don't know how to deal with this. I don't, I don't know what to do. I need help here. And then you just wait and listen. I don't hear anything audibly. Do I look to the word? God, what is, what is your word? And I've never, been, I've never been like going, well, that was a waste of time. I've always been encouraged. I've always been strengthened. I've always been brought aware of His will in my life. Sometimes it's painful, but it's always profitable. I've got to give you a quick summary. We're going to take communion. So, summary from our context. Let me give you a couple things, four or five things. Look around. What do you see? In regards to people, in regards to the world you live in, what do you see? Do you see as He sees? We started that, and I referenced that, where When you see a brother in need, and you have this world's goods, what do you see? You can't fix everything, but what do you see? And when you are now aware, open your heart that he can love through you. To support in some way, to help in some fashion, to be a part of what he would bring about. Open your heart, because you understand. The start of that was, let's not let our hearts close up. Let's not let them constrict. Because your desire, my desire... Is what's in place is placed within us. This is the third point. Live out the love you've been given. You've been given love when you were born again. And now, how does that manifest? How has this come forward? I, I don't know. I can look a lot. You can look a lot. But it'll be unique and different and special and beautiful and powerful in your life. Let it be expressed. Live out the love you've been given. So, look around. What do you see? Open your heart so he can love through you. Live out the love you've been given. Fourth thing: keep learning, keep growing, keep loving. Yes, you'll be hurt. Yes, you'll be burned. Yes, there'll be tough times. I, I, we, we could all just share some things that have been hard in our lives. But we also would have to share, "But God was faithful." But God is teaching me. But I'm letting go of this and holding on to that. Last thing is: abide in Christ, dwell with Him, choose that. And you're going to find um, life changes so radically, so drastically. I'm going to have uh, worship team come back up. We're going to uh, take communion now. Communion is for born again Christians. Communion is not just something that's done occasionally at the end of a sort of gathering, or a large session like this. Um, it's 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 because of the relationship you personally have with Jesus Christ. The Bible says, you know, Jesus told his followers. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Well, if you don't have a relationship with him, you have no memory to draw off of. Understood? It's pretty simple. But because you have a relationship, he says, remember the price that I paid for you. Remember what I've done for you. Sadly, what he instituted and what we call the Lord's Supper or communion has become a religious reference and it was never meant to be. It was always meant to be a relational foundation. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. So will you stand with me? We're going to pray, and then we'll proceed into a song of worship together. During that song of worship, if you desire to take communion as a follower of Jesus Christ, you can proceed up to the front and pick up the elements. When you get there, there won't be a tray of just bread and the and, and, and cup, the bread is underneath the top cup. There's two cups together. So just pick one up and you'll have what you need. As you pick them up then return to your seat. I'll come back up and we'll we'll take communion together. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence as you speak to us and you stir and what well, do you know? There's times we we fade out. Our attention span falters, but our heart still ponders and wonders. And thank you, God, that you speak to us. May you capture, Lord, our attention. May you draw us close to you. We have zero diminishing confidence, at least in ourselves. May we have a growing, increase, increasing confidence in you, Jesus. That you'll teach us, you'll keep us, you'll show us. That we would learn to love as you would teach us to love. You would learn to be the people ultimately you empower us to be. So Lord, we sing this song to you. We thank you, God, in your name. Amen.